0: The show! You have all made it to the damn.
1: You have all made it, made it, made right, to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 102, your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's episode, beer. That's right. It's another beer episode. It's about time. It's been too long. We're talking beer. And we're talking my favorite local brewery here in Denver. They're right here in my hood. They're in Park Hill, and they do great, great beers. I'm talking, of course, about Station 26 Brewing. And I have on here the founder and CEO, the head honcho of Station 26, Justin Backery. And Justin's a guy I've wanted to talk to for a long time because I just love Station 26 so much. I love everything about it. It's in this old firehouse. That's why it's called Station 26. Its design aesthetic is so clean and so good, and their beers are just incredibly well-built. You know, there are some brewers that do, like, really flashy stuff, really obscure stuff, like the weirder the better. These guys make great beers that are just from top to bottom – just really, really well crafted. They are craft beer. So, everything from their American Copper, which is like this amber ale that's not too malty, not too hoppy, it's just great beer, to the Colorado Cream Ale, which in its first year won a great American Beer Festival bronze medal in the Cream Ale category, to a range of IPAs. They have single hopped IPAs that are just terrific, and they're in cans now. You can find them at, I think he said they have like 100 accounts. So, look for Station 26 at the liquor store. Also, be sure to check out Station 26 at their tap room. It's wonderful. It's at 7045 East 38th Avenue in Denver, right here in Park Hill. It's not far from Quebec, so if you know that side of town, sort of northeast part of Denver. And we get into why he chose that location. Why is he in Park Hill? Living in Park Hill, I thought, and before that, Stapleton, I'm like, why isn't there a brewery around here? And we waited and waited and waited, and I tell him this story. When it finally opened, Kristen and I both go, please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please be good. And we went there. We took one sip and we go, yep, this is going to be all right. This is going to be really, really good. So in addition to beer and in addition to talking about the formation of his brewery, we cover a lot of issues here. Why should you care about beer in grocery stores? Why should you care about AB InBev acquisitions? You know, they just picked up Breckenridge here in Colorado. Why should that matter to you? If you're a fan of small business, if you're a fan of craft beer, these things will matter to you, and we get into why on this week's episode. So just an incredibly thoughtful dude making great, great beer in a tap room that I would argue is unparalleled. So we cover all of that. We'll get to this week's episode here in a second, but first, let me give a plug to Four Degrees. They are the sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast. And if you're creating an online campaign of some sort, whatever you're doing, Whether it's politically related, consumer related, or otherwise, what that otherwise is, I don't really know. Get in touch with 4Degrees because they will reach the consumer or the constituent that you need to reach. They will find the ideal platform, the ideal message, and they will get it to you at a cost that will blow your mind. They are very cost effective. They have an unbelievable reputation, and they have great success. And they're my sponsor. So, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. 4 Degrees. Sponsor from the beginning. We're on episode 102 and we're talking beer. What else is there? It's fantastic. We'll do the rest of the plugs at the back end of the show. So for now, episode 102 with Justin Bakery, the head honcho of Station 26 Brewing, starts right now.
1: It's still pretty hectic, especially right now with uh, summer as our busy season and. Uh, new cans in the market. And, you know, right. we're just kind of, we're growing, we're sort of doubling every year, give or take. So it doesn't really get any easier. <laughs>
0: wow. Doubling every year about, so, and you're, I mean, you got the half birthday coming up this Saturday, right? It is. Okay. And so I remember one time I showed up here and just because, you know, people bring babies and dogs to to stuff all the time. Showed up here with my little baby, and they're like, uh, I "Can't do it today." And I go, "You know what? I get it. Like, this is this
1: is the half birthday thing. This is this is for adults." But similar deal this time, right? Yep. No kids, no dogs. Uh, for one day, one day only. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it's gonna be a big party. A lot of people. A lot of you know, loud noise and bands and everything. So we just try to. It, it can sometimes get uh mm-hmm. pretty crazy with you know packs of dogs and kids running around.
0: Right. I'm wondering because it's topical and we're sitting here in your office at station 26 brewing in my neighborhood, which is just super exciting with Justin Bakery, the what head honcho of station 26?
1: Yeah. How's that for a title? It works. You know, um, I'm the founder and president, I suppose on my business Sweet. card, but kind of a uh, jack of all trades. You know, we're obviously a small brewery and in the last. You know, we've been open for two and a half years, and we're in planning for about a year before that. So, wow. I've done just about every job at the brewery, from you know, assistant brewing to sales, <laughs> delivery, driving, uh, picking up grain, bartending, you know, all of it. So,
0: so you knew back of the house and front of the house. To some degree, yeah. Okay, to uh, to, what, to one extent or another, in in every one of those, front right? of
1: the house was new on opening day. I okay. had never bartended before. <laughs> Luckily, pouring beers isn't that complicated, and we figured it out pretty quick. I think, <laughs> right? I know you were here on opening day, so
0: I was. Yeah, I showed up, and it's funny because I told you this story like before we were on, but my wife and I are are huge like craft beer nerds. What we do on Fridays is typically because breweries in Denver pop up almost like mushrooms in the night. If you're sort of a consumer who's not following the industry closely, you'd be like, God, how is there another new one? Like that's, it's pretty remarkable. And so we're like, when is one going to open in Park Hill? And we were just dying for one to open. And finally, like we saw the announcement and I think it might've even been at uh, Stapleton House was the first place we saw you guys. And so we showed up opening day and I remember your beer list. Do you remember the beer list from that one? For the most part. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how good I do. So you had IPA number one. Yep. Belgian American Pale. Yep. Cherrywood smoked red. Sort of. Uh,
1: okay. Colorado cream. Yep. And. No, no, that's also. Oh, that's off too? So. Okay. Right, you're Fix about- me. I think 500. <laughs> uh, so. Okay. And there was one more beer. Okay.
0: Uh, I want to say porter. Session stout. Session stout. Okay. Yep. So I, I remembered the two that we had.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which is important, right? So uh fix me. So funny story, now that we're two and a half years old, I think it's safe to uh to tell people in public. I think I've told, you know, a bunch of people this uh story by now, but the original smoked beer was supposed to be cherrywood smoked red. Okay. <laughs> and it was the first beer that we brewed on the system. And we had some reporters from I want to say maybe the Stapleton front porch, you know, newspaper or something sure. like that. And they they showed up uh, with a photographer and they showed up late, so we were just in the middle of um, brewing, you know, dumping bags of grain in the mill for the first time, and we had we had all the bags of grain staged over by the mill. Brew day works great. Reporters are gone. You know, we pull a sample from the fermenter uh, to pull gravity and kind of look at it, and you know, we hit our numbers. Everything was great. And and Wayne, our head brewer, and I, we kind of looked at each other and we looked at the beer, <laughs> and we're like it's not very red is it uh it it was a you know kind of a golden colored beer and so we uh we walked over the mill and we noticed that there was a bag of uh you know a a red malt unopened (laughs) sitting in the corner and so uh we said okay well it's uh we're just gonna call this cherrywood smoked golden ale and uh i mean it was a great beer we hit our numbers everything was perfect except you know this this one bag of grain didn't make it into an ash ton. And now it's too late. I mean, you've missed your window for that, right? Oh yeah. So, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, I mean, we sold that beer as Cherrywood Smoked Golden Ale. Uh, it was a fantastic beer. I mean, I, we, I'd like to brew it again at some point. And, uh, future batches, we fixed the glitch.
0: Sure. How did that first night go for you? Because I remember for us, it, it, we were super excited because we looked at each other and we're, we're like, okay, we're going to go to this place. It's our neighborhood brewery. Please be good. Please be good. Please don't suck. Like, please be good. And we both take our first sip and we go, okay, no, we're going to be money. This is good. Like the And the two beers we had at the time were like super in our wheelhouse. And I'm drinking a Goza right now, which I, I can't seem to get enough Goza this summer. And it's really like mellow and sessionable and it's great. And it's not so punch you in the face like tart or salty, which you told me
1: was an intentional choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the beers we make are purposely – Clean, simple, well-made beers. We don't make a lot of, you know, crazy stuff just for <laughs> right. the sake of being weird. Uh, you know, I think we make great beers, and if you're just making a good, clean beer, you don't have to be weird about it, right? You well, know, the, the quality shows without anything, you know, else required.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Do you ever watch like Bourdain, like No Reservations? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I don't know if it was him who made this point or not, but creativity might be overrated, um, and craft. I think is probably more important like talent and being good and being intentional, like taking something that everyone knows and doing it really, really well is almost undervalued compared to people searching out the weird or the new or the novel, which wears off.
1: Yeah. I think, um, in a city with 60 plus breweries, you know, in Denver proper, that's not including any of the suburbs. Uh, there's a lot of competition and I think sure. I'll say it outright. You know, there's 60 breweries in Denver and there's not 60 breweries that make good beer. Uh, <laughs> right, that's just a fact, and I think there are breweries that you know they can make creative beers in place of making good beers. <laughs> uh, I live in the Highlands, uh, right across the street from Hogshead, and I think you know they're a shining example of a- another brewery that makes you know world class beer, yeah. and they make you know uh, I don't know boring English beers, right? Nobody's right. like lighting up the internet about a four percent English mild, <laughs> but that's stuff that I really like
0: right well yeah I mean it's funny I think about even something like uh, ratio beer works their domestica is what what do you call that that's like an American mild I think right I don't even know what they call it yeah, I can't I mean, even
1: remember but it's just it's it's very it might be in the you know cream ale category I mean sure. it's it's just a light blonde beer that you can drink all day that's well done clean. Yeah, well, well know, it's well built. It's a good beer.
0: So going back to
1: that opening night, how did
0: it go from from your perspective?
1: You know, it's funny. We uh as I mentioned, I, I had never bartended before. I didn't really know what I was doing. We we hired a, a guy, a friend of mine that I met at Hobson Pie. I live, you know, over there and yeah. uh,
0: so we recruited. I him went to there come... for the first time
1: recently and it first was... time. Yeah.
0: I you know how sometimes you just have these like blind spots? Like and I always knew it existed, but for whatever reason I'd never gotten over there. Sure. And I went there and I go,
1: holy shit, this is what I've been missing. It's good. Yeah. Great place. So we hired Devin away from Hops and Pie. He's still behind the bar here as our, I guess, our my second employee after Wayne, our brewer. <laughs> nice. And so he knew what he was doing. I was behind the bar. My girlfriend, Annie, was behind the bar. Two of our investors that live in Denver were behind the bar. None of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> I thought it was a crazy day. Um and I was like, oh, man, you know, are, are we ever going to sell as much beer again? Right. I was kind of <laughs> clueless as far as like, well, what's what's happening right now? I didn't think I was just like, you know, deer in the headlights. And uh well, it's almost like a wedding day or like
0: a day, de- you know, a graduation day or the day you've been building up to. And it goes by in a flash.
1: Yeah. You know, and it was a very late notice. So we had been dealing with the wastewater department, uh, a technical issue with the city of Denver for, for like two months and we were, everything was done. We were ready to go and we were waiting on wastewater to solve this. We come to This to this issue. And I got a phone call Friday afternoon from the head of the building department. And he, you know, normally those guys are in the office in the morning and they're out in the field for the day and they just go straight home. And somehow he was, you know, back at his desk and he's like, Hey, Justin, I got your voicemail. If you get over here in the next 20 minutes, I'll sign a temporary certificate of occupancy for you. Huh. You know, but you, you got to get here. So I, you know, I sped downtown. He signed the document and that was enough for us to be open. So I called all my friends, you know, this is Friday night and said, Hey, we're opening the doors for a soft opening. Let's kind of stress test the system. You know, the really three <laughs> things. Can we pour beer? Can we play music? Can we take people's <laughs> money? And that worked. And so we said, All right, uh, grand opening's tomorrow at. Uh, two o'clock. Uh, so it all came (laughs) together super fast. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I I wasn't sure (laughs) the thought ran through my head, you know, what if we never sell this much beer (laughs) in a day ever again? And right. uh, You know, we do two and a half times that volume just on a normal Saturday (laughs) in the summer. (laughs) Which by the way, I'm, I'm struck by something you said, which is
0: when we were looking to open the brewery, we were trying to solve this stormwater issue, which is everyone's dream of dealing with, you know, stormwater issues yeah. <laughs> or wastewater or whatever it was when you're opening a brewery. I mean, what kinds of things went into that that maybe you didn't anticipate or that someone might not anticipate when they think about opening a venture such as this?
1: Yeah, I think everybody thinks that opening a brewery's all fun and games and you know, brew, brew
0: some right. beer, put on some tunes, open the door. Brewing right?
1: beer is about. 5% of what we do as a brewery. Uh, and and if you're a brewer, any, you know, any wannabe brewers out there, brewing beer is about 10% of your job and the rest <laughs> is cleaning and, uh, scrubbing you know, floors and yeah, stuff, right? So and cleaning out tanks, the, the actual brewing part is a, a small percentage of your work week, but, <laughs> uh, just like opening a brewery, you know, it involves a lot of paperwork and, Dealing with the, the, uh, you know, zoning department, the building department, the wastewater department, and you know, landlords and banks, and, uh, there's a lot that goes into it that's not super fun.
0: Well, and getting your brand dialed in, which I want to call that out real quick because episode 95 was Kyle Clark and he named you guys by name as having like the cleanest brand, like the best brand, the the only one that he's like I may as well just get it tattooed like on my face just so I can be done with it because I love it so much.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, and so thanks I'm, Kyle.
0: Yeah, huge endorsement there. And I just a funny anecdote, I was in Portland at Basecamp Brewing yep. and I was wearing your shirt and this guy comes up to me, he goes, "I can't believe I'm seeing this. That's my neighborhood brewery. I live in Park Hill." I go, "Get the fuck out. I live in Park Hill too." That's awesome. So, uh, you're connecting people uh, all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, branding is a huge, huge part of, of the industry. You know, there's so many options. You look at, you know, what's on a liquor store shelf and and what stands out. And I think, you know, our mentality going into it, you know, big branding kind of. Uh, scope of work before we ever open. And, you know, there's, it's really interesting. You work with, you know, designers and ask you to me, I'm, my background is in finance a former investment banker, reformed investment (laughs) banker. And, you know, my designers, like if your brand, uh, you know, what's your brand's favorite band or, you know, these kind of weird questions. Like, what are you trying to, you know, what are yeah. we doing here? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It feels like this esoteric bullshit, right? Exactly. But I mean, it, it was, you know, an important set of questions. And I think what we got to in the end was a very clean, simple brand. I don't think, you know, we need uh, mountains in our logo or hmm. uh, anything like that. You know, there's uh, what we, what we're trying to do is focus on making a uh, good, clean, simple beer. And, you know, being a neighborhood tap room and, uh, just kind of dispensing with the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of affectation here. And one of
0: the things that I was, I mean, cause I've, I've worked in branding my entire life and I do brand exercises and you know, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why like that kind of what thing? What kind of car would you be? And why? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not asking you that. Uh, it's, it's funny. I, I thought when I was doing the brand for my show, uh, and I talked to my graphic designer, this guy, Brad, who helped me get this show on the, on the ground. I said, look, this, the show's going to be called John of all trades. And if you make the font just like nothing but tools, you know, like pencils and a straight edge and a hammer and shit, I'm firing you punch him in the face. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm like, this is awful. So I thought it showed remarkable restraint because we're an old, in an old firehouse that you guys didn't do like axes or, you know, like a, like a fireman's Tell hat it. or something. I, that
1: had to be very tempting though. we We get a lot of uh, unsolicited feedback from customers. Uh, sorry if any of you are listening to this, I'm gonna call you out, but you know, hey, do you guys know what you should do? You should really put some helmets and axes on the wall. And we're like, yeah, no um, so yeah, we're in a you know nineteen sixty firehouse It was an operating fire station for forty six years, I believe, and so we kind of let the building speak. Uh, for itself, you know, we're station 26 brewing because we're in the old station 26. There are no goofy shit on the walls. This doesn't look like a TGI Fridays or an (laughs) Applebee's or a Flingers or whatever. Um, an alligator wearing sunglasses. Exactly.
0: (laughs) No, I've seen everything.
1: uh, Yeah. Everything's clean and simple, right? We'll let the building speak for itself. We'll let the beer speak for itself. Our branding is in support of all that. Yeah. Well, and again, it's, it's kind of about
0: being intentional. Because there are a lot of times where you go to a brewery taproom and it's like, you did not pay attention to what this experience is. And one of the things that you conveyed to me was it's a very open like brewery, you know, there's, there's no like big wall between like where the the taproom is and where the tanks are. And I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about what that choice was about?
1: Yeah. So our goal was and is and always will be to be a neighborhood brewery. And so we want you know, we want everyone that's in our tap room drinking our beer to connect. You know, the fact that they are drinking our beer, which was made, you know, twenty feet away. So there's there's a half wall that separates the brewery and the tap room. It's not uh, enclosed. There's no glass. It's it's totally wide open. I mean, you're you know, you're a few feet away from our fermenters and bright tanks. So I think we just wanted to be, you know, kind of make sure people were aware of that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it works,
0: uh, and I just have to call out also, like underneath the bar where you can like hang purses and coats and stuff, is like the old. It's not the nozzle, but what is it like the uh, handle?
1: Yeah, it's the uh, like the valve for you mm-hmm. know uh, hot water faucet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you know it's like hoses where you have like your beer list and stuff. That was an interesting project. So <laughs> we came up with this idea to use uh, fire hoses the the back wall, I suppose, uh, behind the bar. And so I tracked down a hose manufacturer hmm. in North Carolina and I said, Hey, I've got this weird request. I need, um, 600 feet of fire hose, but I don't want any hose inside. I just want the fabric casing and I don't want any of the brass fittings on the end. Can you help me out? And she, you know, this woman on the phone was like, um, what are you doing? And I told her the story. I said, Hey, we, you know, we leased a, an old fire station and we're turning it into a brewery and it's going to be this interior design project. And she said, Oh, that sounds great. Let me uh, <laughs> talk to the owner. Obviously, no one has ever asked for this before, yeah. but I'll see what I can do. And she came through in the clutch. So it had, to be a big, out.
0: It had to be a big day for her because, yeah. you know, normally you're taking orders and it's like, yeah, we need this much firehouse. We're, we're this company in this part of the country, but it's like, no, look, here's something totally different. You must have brightened her day with that. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, who knows? And you're working in beer. So, so another question. I mean, you brought up the fact that we're in an old firehouse. We're here in the neighborhood of Park Hill. Why Park
1: Hill? Park Hill needed a neighborhood brewery. Okay. Plain and simple. Uh, so,
0: and I mean, you mentioned you live not far from Hops and Pie and Hogshead. So, I yep. mean, this ain't even your part of town.
1: That's right. Uh, well, it is now. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, but I made a map of all the existing breweries at the time. You know, that we were planning ours, which was January, December of 2012. So I mapped all the breweries that were open or that I knew were opening, you know, kind of had a location because there's, you know, a thousand, well, there's probably 5,000 breweries in planning in this country, but, (laughs) you know, realistically, uh, a quarter of them will actually get the doors open. They'll see it through, yeah. There was a huge, glaringly obvious hole in this map in the, you know, Northeast part of town, park Hill and Stapleton are the two neighborhoods that we primarily serve. And so I just started driving around both neighborhoods trying to figure out where, you know, breweries require a very specific property, right? So there's like a square footage, you know, it can't be too big. It can't be too small. We need clear, you know, overhead, uh, clearance for larger tanks, all sorts of things. And so I was uh, riding my bike up and down, Streets in Park Hill, and I was riding (laughs) north on Pontiac Street. And from three blocks south of here, I saw this building, and I was like, What the hell is that? (laughs) There was a no for sale sign, no for lease sign. It was clearly a vacant building. And so I tracked down the landlord, actually his attorney, through public (laughs) property records and, and Colorado secretary of state LLC filings. <laughs> and he was about to sign a lease with a fitness studio, like a CrossFit gym sure, or something yeah. like that. I mean, this guy was days away from signing this lease and he had a couple other successful gyms in town. And, uh, he was going to sign the lease as written and showed my landlord, you know, he had a million dollars in the bank and <laughs> I somehow bullshitted my way into the building. And I said, you know, look, fitness is trendy, right? Like what, uh, nobody heard of CrossFit five years ago and nobody's going to give a shit about CrossFit five years from now. (laughs) Personal opinion, I'm not a CrossFitter, obviously. Uh, And, um, and I was like, this needs to be a brewery. It's the perfect building for a brewery. You know, craft beer is here to stay. Here's my business plan. And, um, it somehow worked. So here we are. So
0: you had your business plan all written like, and, and you were identifying a location at that point.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Okay. So I, I'm always interested in the origin story, especially when it comes to brewers, because and I'm going to screw up his first name, but I want to say it's Jeff Crabtree from uh, Crabtree Brewing in Greeley. I met with him because I was doing some economic development stuff through my old job uh, up in Weld County. And he said, a lot of folks, you know, it's like I used to brew on the side and I washed out of my corporate gig. So I, I sort of did this. Jeff's was different because he came at it from the business side and he saw a business opportunity to open craft brewing. And he liked to cook, and he he thought he might attack it from that angle. And I go, oh, that's kind of putting it on its head. And since then, I've heard all sorts of different stories about it. So I'm interested in what
1: yours is. You said you're a reformed investment, investment banker? banker, yeah. Wow. So You wouldn't guess that to look at you. Not anymore, but if I showed you my driver's license with a fresh photo from <laughs> when I moved to Colorado, you might think otherwise. Oh, funny. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I was uh, an investment banker for two years out of school. Learned a lot, was glad that I did it, but it wasn't fun at the time. It's kind of like pledge ship. Right. What, and, what uh, types of stuff were you doing? Uh, so I was in the real estate corporate finance group. So I was working with, um, this was 05 to oh seven. So mostly large public real estate companies and a lot of go private deals. So, you know, companies, public companies that owned a couple billion dollars worth of real estate. And it was the height of the real estate market and a lot of interesting transactions. Okay. Weird. Oh, all right. So then, after two years, I got a job offer from a Denver-based client of mine, and uh, I was looking to move out west, uh, still to be in the finance world. So Denver, Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, BC, were kind of on my short list of places that I wanted to live, and also places that I might find gainful employment. Sure. Yeah. And so the uh, this client offered me a job, and I, I mean, I jumped at the chance. It was uh, it was great. I worked with them for a couple of years, the real estate, uh, market shit, the bed. <laughs> and so there was really not a whole lot of, uh, work to go around. And I, I ultimately left there, took a job somewhere else, left there to, uh, brew at a small brew pub in town. So that was the start of my, you know, quote unquote professional brewing experience. I'd been homebrewing as a hobby for, I don't know, six or seven years. How was your stuff? Um, that's a good question. I think it was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Uh, it got me a job at this brew pub. So they, you know, they called and said, Hey, you know, why don't you come in and talk to the owners, uh, um, bring some beer. So we had a, we had an interview at the bar. I brought them, uh, I think it was a hazelnut Brown that I had brewed okay. and, uh, offered me a job on the spot.
0: So like, what kind of stuff would you brew at home? Because I tried brewing at home once and it was just a miserable failure. It was terrible. But like what, what kinds of styles were you doing?
1: Um, a little bit of everything, a lot of pale ales and IPAs and some English stuff Sure, for the most part. So just, you know, whatever I like to drink, I wasn't really brewing anything, you know, crazy, high ABV or, um, uh, anything like that.
0: Well, I mean, you mentioned it was a hobby. Did you have aspirations at that point to,
1: to get into the industry? I didn't really. So I took this brewing job partly out of boredom. I had quit my (laughs) previous, my previous job and, um, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to just take a couple months off and figure out, you know, I have no idea what I want to do with my life at this point. Kind of what do you want to do when you grow up, right? quarter life <laughs> crisis, I guess. Sure. And so I took this brewing job really just, uh, I don't know, for the hell of it. And I was brewing on a really small system. Uh, I was brewing on a half-barrel Sabco Brew Magic. So I was brewing 15 and a half gallons at a time, twice a day, uh, three or four days a week. Wow. And so it was actually great from a... Uh, recipe development perspective. So, I mean, I got to brew constantly. Um, yeah, you know, that's here, a lot of at-bats. It, it is. So here we brew 15 barrels at a time. That's 500 gallons, Yeah. you know, as a point of reference. So I just brewed my ass off and um, <laughs> got to, I mean, I got to brew for the most part, whatever I wanted, which was great. Wow. And then really just kind of dialed in, you know, recipes and ingredients and really got to explore. I mean, it was it was almost like homebrewing, but, you know, I was getting paid very, <laughs> very little to do it. Uh, <laughs>
0: so it really was almost like homebrewing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: And, um, so I, I, I wound up working there for th- two years and meeting people in the industry, asking questions, you know, hey, maybe this is something that I want to do, uh, with my life. And, uh, it turned out to be the case. And, <laughs> you know, here we are.
0: So. In terms of making that transition from brewing at this small brew pub in town to owning your own brewery, I mean did you like did you have to go out and apply for loans or did you have some dough saved up or i mean how how do you go from that to this now, where you know sure. you, you you are the the ruler of this
1: empire, so to speak, yeah, for better <laughs> or worse <laughs> right um, it was a combination of uh some bonus money that I got paid uh stupid bonus money. <laughs> uh, for my investment banking days, I'm not even going to publicize that. That's fair. Uh, and
0: um, investors, I, I can imagine. I used to work in oil and gas, so yeah, there I, you go. I, I can probably guess.
1: Think about the top of the market bonus, and there you go.
0: Okay, um,
1: <laughs> so you know some some bonus money, some investor money from you know, friends of mine, uh, kind of throughout my professional career. Uh, the nice thing about being in finance is I can write a business plan and uh, put mm. together you know a set of numbers and and have frankly, access to capital and then an SBA loan. So okay. that's, that's the, the three pieces, my money, other people's money and, uh, the local banks money. What would you
0: say is it, if you were thinking about doing this on your own and it, you know, I don't intend for this to be an entire how to necessarily, but of those three, what is probably the most challenging to secure?
1: I think it depends. You know, sure. uh, I got asked, or, or rather, I asked a lot of banks for a loan and I got told no a lot of times okay the funny story is my current bankers so I, <laughs> I I switched banks and refinanced my SBA loan and uh, i was I was talking to a banker who you know works for a, a denver based bank that lends to some of the big breweries around so you know, think, um, Avery or great divide or, you know, some of these guys that are building 30, $40 million projects. Sure. That's stature. And so he came by one day to just kind of introduce himself or stop by and, and we were chatting and we wound up, you know, going down this path of like, Hey, we'd, you know, we'd be interested in, in a lending relationship with station 26. And Hmm. I said, Oh, that's great. And, uh, the guy halfway through the conversation, he said, Hey, I've got to, I got to admit something, you know, (laughs) we've met before. And it turns out that I had met with him three and a half years ago and asked him for money and he told me no. Huh. And, uh, but and now, and you, you know, didn't recognize him? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, but now we're, uh, now he's my banker and he's a great guy. So that had to make you feel pretty good though, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, startup, uh, breweries, it's a tough business. I, I think people that, you know, public service announcement, if you think you're going to get into the craft brewing world in, Colorado in 2017 and make a lot of money, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, we opened in 2013 and that's, you know, we're two and a half years old and it's, it's like very different from then. And now in what way, I mean, like what, what's
0: changed in that time, uh, outside of having, you know, a lot more experience
1: competition for one. Okay. So in 2012, when I wrote my business plan, there were neighborhoods that, Needed a neighborhood brewery, and mm-hmm. now there are probably no neighborhoods in Denver that need a neighborhood brewery because they already exist. And there's not just one, but there's two or three or more.
0: Right, or there's bars that have like twenty, thirty tap hand, sure. like craft tap handles. Yeah, yeah, your
1: your competition for beer drinkers is not just small brewery tap rooms. I mean, there's places like Hops and Pie, and you know, a, a very long list of other places.
0: I think from the outside looking in, people always look at the craft brewing industry and there, there are even things like collab fest, you know, collaboration fest and see this very sort of, at least from the outside looking in, very supportive, very collaborative environment where brewers are always, you know, going to each other's tap rooms and talking up each other's products. And occasionally there will be like, you know, chinks in the armor, like things like strange beer supply in Connecticut and strange brewing in Denver getting into a tiff or Renegade and Elevation Brewing getting into it over, you know, the use of elevation, that kind of thing. But by and large, I would say it looks like like everyone's having a good time and everyone's
1: friendly with each other, but to what extent is that actually true? I think it's true 98% of the time. I mean, Okay. I'm friends with a lot of brewers in town and in general, I think you're right. I mean, everybody it's a super collaborative industry. You know, if we need ingredients, we can, you know, buy them or borrow them from others. We do the, you know, the same on the flip side. But I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's getting a little bit more crowded. I think some people feel like their toes are getting stepped on a little bit. Mm. And as the industry matures, there's a lot of dollars involved. You know, sure. Uh, if you opened a brewery 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, you were... It's just a totally different environment. And so it used to be kind of us against them, you know, as in them being, being the big guys. (laughs) Right. And now it's, it's, it's just changing.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, part of it has to do with what do you aspire your brewery to be? And if you aspire to be a neighborhood tap room that makes what, like 95, 98% of your sales out of your tap room, then yeah, you're probably going to be friendly with everyone because you're at that point, like a very provincial business. Yeah. But if you're competing for tap handle space or cooler space, that probably adjusts your
1: mindset. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it does. And for us, you know, our business plan has changed a little bit. When we opened, we wanted to be uh, fairly exclusively a neighborhood uh, brewery, with you know very very little beer going out the door to you know draft accounts. Sure, and. I think that's you know for us at least that's changed a little bit. We started brewing uh, Hops and Pies House IPA a couple of months after we opened. They they came to us and said, "Hey, we want to uh, brew. The, we want you to brew this beer for us." And that was great. And um, that was really good too. I miss it. Yeah, uh, it'll we'll, it'll make a guest appearance here and there. Good. Yeah, the H twenty six P.
0: Yep, exactly. I, I remember it well. It, despite having never been there, I always drink it in the tap <laughs> there room. There you
1: go. <laughs> and so. When people wanted, you know, I guess we got some kind of requests for our beer and we thought, you know, well, okay. Early on I thought selling beer... In kegs to wholesale accounts was more of a marketing project than a revenue generating project. Oh, project. almost,
0: yeah, almost like a hub and spoke where someone's like, wow, what is this, what is this beer I had at Hops and Pie? I should exactly. go check out their brew.
1: Hops and Pie is on the other side of town. And, yeah. and if you drink H26P IPA and you're like, oh man, this is a great beer. I've never heard of this station Twenty Six place. Where is it? Let's go. Uh, exactly. And it was really the goal of bringing people to the taproom, yeah, which I- is, you know, where we make our money. That's where sure. any brewery of our size you know, makes their money. It's nice. not selling kegs to bars. Right.
0: Right. Or, you know, um, there was a time where you guys weren't in any liquor stores either. And, yep. and now, you know, you're in a bunch, I see you in, in a few. And I would just like to give a shout out to grape expectations, um, which is One my, of our best accounts. My, and I adore them so much because their selection is, I don't know how they're always finding new shit or finding space for new shit, but it's always there. And and you guys are there, you guys did a tasting there one time on a Friday, and so we rolled up. We're like, look, we know all these beers, but <laughs> would you pour Drink them anyway? <laughs> would you would you pour some for us? What is that market like, and and how was your entry into it?
1: Off premise, you know, liquor store business is very competitive. There's a limited amount of cooler doors. And there's a lot of beer in bottles and increasingly in cans these days. Sure. Uh, you know, everyone's trying to can beers and uh, there's just not space for everybody. So I think our, you know, our plan was, you know, we started as a neighborhood brewery. We purposely didn't open the doors with beer in cans because nobody was going to know who we are. Right. This is, there was at the time, th- I don't know, 30 breweries in Denver. Shelf space. You know, if you own a liquor store and somebody comes in and is trying to sell you a beer that nobody's ever heard of, I think it's a really <laughs> tough sell. Yeah. So we opened. We tried to be the best tap room brewery we could, and sell some beer around town. You know, we were fifty two eighty magazines' best new brewery. We we're the Westwards uh, best tap room, and yeah. so I think we GABF medal. A GABF medal, yep, for Colorado Cream Ale first first attempt. So that was in uh, twenty fourteen. So we tried to name make a name for ourselves before we started putting beer in, in cans. And last summer, so about a year ago. We started with two beers, our flagship Colorado Cream Ale, and then a rotating single-hop IPA series, and that worked out, you know, pretty well. We added two additional cans uh, month or t- two months ago, uh, Pale Ale and American Copper, so they gave us four cans, and then we just recently released our summer seasonal Tangerine Cream Ale. So it's kind of a creamsicle in a can, tangerine and vanilla yeah. bean, and we sold just a. Shocking amount of that beer last week. I, I can't. Just t- in time for 4th of July. Oh, perfect.
0: I can't tell you how much or how pleased I was to see American Copper go into cans because I used to come into the tap room and I'd get samplers of whatever was new and then just like a huge pint of that. Because like for whatever reason, I don't know what you guys are putting in it, whether it's MSG. Or it's crack. <laughs> or heroin or whatever. There was something about
1: it where I'm like, I have to drink one of these.
0: And now it's in cans and so I can drink it at home.
1: Yeah, it's it's a uh, a beer that Wayne, our head brewer, and I uh, designed. I don't know a year, a year and a half ago, sort of with the express purpose of being a beer that you could drink every day, yeah. you know, all afternoon. Right? It's not too light. It's not too hoppy. It's balanced.
0: Yeah, it's not too malty. There's like... a
1: little bit of malt to it. There's a little bit of hops to it. Yeah, everything kind of in moderation. You know, it's a five point two percent beer. So. Mm. You know, honestly, a beer you could drink while you're doing work and, uh, not, you know, you're not getting your palate wrecked by, you know, a hundred IBUs or right. it's just a beer that, you know, it's just a beer.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's like the, it's got the beeriest essence, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just want a beer.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. Getting back to this thing about collaboration, and this is something we touched on earlier, but we haven't explored. You're friendly with the other breweries in town, and the other the other brewers are are typically of your size, you know you guys, and you know I don't know who who you count as your close brewer friends, but it's not even worth it to be fighting amongst yourselves when there is larger fish to fry in the pond. Is that fair to say? yeah, I think so, And when I spoke to Brian O'Connell on this show, he had just written a letter for that stupid like Budweiser Super Bowl ad. You know, like beer Peach made the ho- beer yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah, beer made the hard way, like all that bullshit. And it's like, oh, I've been doing it the easy way this whole time, right? I mean <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But uh he also wrote an open letter about uh AB InBev Bev buyouts, which is something that is going on across the industry. And I was wondering, being on the front lines and working in this industry, your sort of feeling about it.
1: Well, I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, I don't know what year it was that uh, ABI bought Goose Island out of Chicago. Uh, to give you a sense of, you know, valuation uh, and, and kind of what the market has done in the last, uh, maybe that was four years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bought Goose Island for, I think it was like $30, $35 million. <laughs> and uh, Constellation Brands just bought Ballast Point for $1 billion with a B. You're so, right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, ABI has gone on to buy a lot of breweries across the country with this sort of uh, regional approach. So Goose is their national brand that they're rolling out across all 50 states. There's Blue Point in New York. There's Elysian Elysian and Ten Barrel and Golden Road and Four Peaks and Breckenridge. Yeah. And Breckenridge, I think, you know, Colorado was... uh, there was no direct impact there until this Breckenridge deal got announced. And I think that really kind of got everybody's attention.
0: Uh, I'll bet it did because I kept way- – I, it seemed inevitable that something from Colorado was going to go or yep. that it was going to happen. And I had no – I don't follow the industry this closely. I had no idea who it was going to be. And then it happened
1: and I go, holy shit. Yeah, there's a small group of breweries that it could be. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's probably five or there's probably five breweries that you know were were targets, and it's, ABI wants a brewery with a certain size, and they like breweries with tap rooms or destination locations, and you know a couple sure. of factors. So, not really surprising. You know, I think that that project went over budget. They spent a, uh, Breckenridge spent a lot more money on their new brewery than they thought they would. Are you talking about like that farmstead? The thing? farm place in Littleton. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing brewery. Gorgeous yeah. place. And, uh, I, you know, and, and if ABI throws a number with a whole lot of zeros at you, that's for you to decide. Yeah. But for breweries like us, I think they, ABI is buy, uh, buying breweries like Breckenridge for a reason. And it's to, hmm. and it's to, you know, beat back small breweries like us. They can't build brands, you know, uh, shock top wheat. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like this little guy with like a mohawk made of like wheat. plants like they're (laughs) shockingly bad at creating their own in-house craft products so they so they so they you know they buy breweries like breckenridge and then use them to try to defeat breweries like us Hmm.
0: well it's funny it 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 seems odd that you know the the goliath would be worried about all the little davids but i mean the all the little davids keep
1: taking market share is that right i mean yeah absolutely you guys keep growing right there's two factors. One is overall beer consumption in the U S is declining hmm. So a beer overall, including craft and, uh, you know, macro beer, whatever that means.
0: What, like on a per person basis or just like, uh, or just on a by total, volume?
1: total volume basis. You know, okay. The, the, the beer industry, including big beer is smaller this year than it was last year. Okay. Uh, because wow. they're losing share to wine and spirits. Okay. Wow. And then within the beer world, Craft is growing, you know, in a double digit pace and that growth is coming obviously at the expense of, you know, Bud Miller course. Okay. okay.
0: So basically what you're describing to me is the overall pie is shrinking and the percentage of the pie owned by Kraft is getting bigger. Yep. So, wow, that's a double headed problem if, yeah. if you're a big brewer like that. Exactly. Interesting. And, you know, I don't think people think about that. I, I don't think people and I mean, honestly, giving people the benefit of the doubt who has time. Unless you're sort of vested in it and you know you go to a new brewery every Friday like my wife and I do. You're, you're probably not invested in this similar, very hot issue here in Colorado is beer now getting sold in grocery stores. Uh, deal cut at the legislature, potentially avoiding a ballot measure. I haven't heard if that if, if a ballot measure has been decided on or if it's been pulled or what. To my knowledge, that's still up in the air. But why should people either care or be aware of certain impacts with regard to grocery store sales.
1: Sure. So, uh, for the record, the ballot initiative is off the table. Apparently. Okay. Is, uh, is what, that's what you've heard. Okay. What the grocery stores have said as for beer sales in grocery stores, my opinion, you know, as a business owner and entirely separately as a beer consumer, you know, Mm -hmm. I still buy beer at liquor stores. Sure. Is that this is a bad development in the Colorado craft beer scene? So, Colorado, as a state, has you know more breweries per capita than almost everybody. Sure, uh, yeah, maybe Vermont is higher, but you know, the point point being that Colorado is a is one of the most dominant states in the craft beer world. That scene grew up in the you know legislative environment or this like landscape of. Beer not being for sale in grocery stores, mm-hmm. you know. So we have small breweries uh, being supported by small independent liquor store partners. So, like when we started selling cans, you know, we didn't automatically get placement in 300 King Supers across the state of Colorado. Right? You didn't go to Kroger distribution. We knocked on the door at Argonaut and said, "Hey guys, why don't you try this IPA? And if you like it, we'll sell you a couple cases." And yeah. you know, hey, Mister B's. Uh, if mm. you like this beer, how about some cream ale? Hey, uh, grape expectations. Exactly. And so, we as brewers built our businesses around the rules that existed, mm. and I think that you know allowing grocery stores to sell beer kind of flips the script, and uh, I think it's bad for small liquor stores. You know, those guys built their stores in the parking lot of King Supers because that was the rule right. at the time. And uh I know that this legislation allows them, you know, some buyout provisions over a certain period of time. And I don't want to get too in the weeds necessarily sure, yeah. about this, but um I think it's bad for small breweries because we're not gonna get placements at King Supers for a bunch of reasons. Uh it's bad for small liquor stores because they're going to get put out of business by King Supers. That's the reality. Your local liquor store, there's a non- trivial chance that it is gone. And I think it's bad ultimately for consumers. And I think people don't think that through They think, Oh wow. It's so convenient to buy beer at the grocery store. Yeah. Okay. That's an argument that makes sense at a very, very high level, but sure. What is going to be on the shelf at King supers, right? Colorado is a beer state because of small breweries and, you know, availability of, of cool, small beer that you want to get. And if you walk in the liquor store and uh, you know, I'm going to throw out a bunch of names and I think all these breweries are awesome and their beer is deservedly fantastic, but I think you lose selection. Hmm. So if you walk into the grocery store and all you can buy is new Belgium and Odell and Oscar blues and you know, maybe Avery and great divide, but you don't get a brewery like dry dock, Mm -hmm. you know, they're a big brewery, but they're not probably going to be on the shelf station 26. There's no chance is going to be on the shelf at, you know, 300 grocery stores across the state. So, uh, you lose a lot mm. in favor, you know, yes, you gain convenience, but your selection is going to be very limited, right? There's going to be some local guys and then back to this budweiser thing. There's going to be, you know, Bud and Bud Light and Goose Island and Breckenridge and Ten Barrel and Elysian and Four uh, Peaks. Four Peaks and, you know, that's it, right? Mm. So you're you you lose as a consumer, I think. Interesting. So I mean, I and I'm not going to
0: play devil's advocate with you about this because, I, quite frankly, I don't feel like it, and I mostly agree with you. I think a more interesting question is, how does this development adjust your business plan as Station 26? Uh, that's a great question, that's something that we're trying to figure out right now. I mean, is the phased-in approach... I mean, how did you feel about the deal cut in the legislature versus sort of the blunt instrument, frying pan to the face of the ballot, the ballot initiative? Yeah.
1: Well, the ballot initiative if it passed would be uh, a very serious, you know, and shocking blow to a lot of small breweries, but more importantly to our, you know, liquor store partners. I mean, those guys mm-hmm. would would really uh, be in pain and I think that's why they opted for the compromise.
0: They they cut the less worse option. Exactly. Right.
1: Uh, at least that gives them some time to figure things out and, you know, phasing something like this in is obviously A much better option than just you know January first. Here is here is a new rule book, right? I think as far as our business plan goes, it's a, a little bit of a wait and see. You know, we're at this stage where we're kind of maximizing production at our facility. I think if I were to dust off my business plan, I think in year five, <laughs> it would say we were going to make like 1,200 barrels of beer a year or something. And, uh, we're in year three and we might do 4,000. So I mean, <laughs> wow. it's like, okay. it's quite different than what I had initially planned for. And so for us, we're, you know, we're in a weird spot where maybe we want to build a production brewery and get bigger. But now with this legislative nobody i don't know that anybody knows exactly what's going to happen you know there's yeah. some naysayers that say that you know 30% of liquor stores are going to going to go out of business you know that's one opinion um mm. it, it's hard to say so for us on the edge of making you know potentially a multimillion dollar investment we have to tap the brakes
0: yeah interesting another question about just the current environment of beer drinkers a lot of times you'll see breweries you'll go to. And for the longest time, the trend was, you know, let's, let's make the biggest, hoppiest, most, the highest ABV beer we possibly can. And then it seemed like everyone was doing sours. And, you know, lately, a lot of breweries have been trying gozos and things like that. Would you say it's, it's more that you're trying to keep up with the taste of beer drinkers or that you are trying to influence and direct the taste of beer drinkers? Are we, or is the industry
1: Uh, answer that any way you want. So I think on the industry level, it's clear that, you know, again, as the industry gets bigger, that there is trend chasing. So this is the year of the fruit beer, you know, there's fruited IPAs and we just released tangerine cream, that was a beer that we made, you know, a year ago and finally got around to canning. But this year, you know, last year we saw a lot of Goza's, there was Sours and before that it was double IPAs. Before that it was Imperial Stouts. So I think there is, uh, you know, as, as breweries get bigger, they need to, to some degree, follow trends. I think on the smaller scale for us in particular, we kind of brew what we want to make. Uh, you know, we didn't release tangerine cream because it's the year of the fruit beer. We released that beer because it's delicious. delicious. And, uh, (laughs) I'm not a fruit beer drinker and I would drink, you know, six of those beers in a row. Right. I gotcha. What have you not brewed that you want to? That's a good question. Uh, if you asked me this a month ago, I would have said Saison. Uh, yeah. So we're two and a half years old. We actually have our first Saison. It's a mixed fermentation Saison with uh, two Saison strains and two Brett strains that's wow, uh, nice. in the fermenter right now. We don't do anything sour. Uh, well, yeah. we brew kettle-soured beers. So Berliner sure. uh, Berliner Weiss and Goza we don't do any kind of mixed fermentation barrel aged you know long term saisons and really that's um, a product of our space so we have a sure. cellar here at the at the brewery and it's it's great it's a uh, you know it's, it's an underground cellar full of barrels of beer uh, clean beer so a lot of imperial stout and uh, some barley wine and some other stuff but sure. i don't want to risk putting uh, sour barrels next to clean barrels cross <laughs> contamination it's a small brewery a uh, you know, small cellar so yeah that makes uh, sense we just don't do that here
0: does the space thing play into like lager pilsner that kind of thing uh that or is that just a taste thing
1: no i think that's a little bit more a function of fermentation capacity okay so yeah I, yes that's what i meant uh, actually so tank space and yeah we really like brewing lagers and I think we make some awesome lagers. Yeah. We've won some medals at the state fair, I think, for a couple of different lagers, but uh, they take more time in the tank. So, you know, brew an ale in, you know, two to three or four weeks, uh, lagers six or eight or, or longer. Sure. So we do occasionally brew lagers, but, um, you know, right now in the heat of the summer, we're, at, you know, brewing at capacity we're, we've got yeah. retail accounts that are like, hey, you know, can we get kegs of your beer? And I have to say, you know, sorry, you can't. We, <laughs> we need it for the tap room. So we brew lagers when we can.
0: Oh, wow. All right. Cool. So, okay. I know this is going to be a tough question to answer because I already asked it to you, but five years from now, if we're looking ahead and station 26 is if you could envision what success looked like five years from now, what would station 26 look like then? Do you have a vision for that?
1: Yeah. I have one of two, I have two visions and that's something that we're actually honestly trying to figure out right now. Uh, and that's whether to take the brewery to, a kind of a next level and, uh, you know, sign with the distributor, expand, mm. uh, statewide. Right. So sell beer right now, for example, we sell cans in about a hundred liquor stores and we self-distribute it's, you know, my sales rep <laughs> Chelsea, who's awesome. And two vans, you know, and oh a delivery driver. so that's, that's what we do right now. And so what we're really trying to figure out is, you know, do we want to, we want to grow you know higher volume more widespread brand or do we want to stay you know roughly where we are now you know maybe get a little bit bigger but yeah. i think it really kind of comes back to this uh, question you asked earlier about you know the legislative environment and i, th- I think that's where we don't know uh, yeah if we want to get bigger we got to build a brewery another brewery and <laughs> yeah. uh, that takes a lot of uh, money and a lot of stress and a lot of time and so uh, it's one of those two options, I think.
0: Well, whatever you guys do, I mean, I as long as you keep pouring the beers that you pour here, I mean, I'll be happy. I'm here with my wife who is, as we record this, 38 weeks pregnant, and she is so done. <laughs> She's ready to start She's ready for a beer. beer. Yeah, very much so. And this was, and again, I'm not terribly proud to admit this, but this was my daughter's first brewery. I think we brought her in here, filled up a couple of growlers when she was like eight days old. So, uh, this was the, the first she saw. Last question I have for you. Is it weird that I played the husband to your girlfriend? <laughs> uh, when we were in eighth grade improv? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, and that, that marriage and that skit we were doing really did not, was not working out for either of us. Uh, the whole, the whole I was glad to hear that. <laughs> the whole sketch, we were just yelling at each other. Um, it was too weird. And, Our uh, degenerate son came home, and the only reason I remember this is because it was on parents' night, and we just happened to be paired up in this scene together. So uh, she helped me set it up, so I'd like to say thanks to Annie. Thanks, Annie. And uh, Justin, now's the time in the show where we do plugs. Where can we find Station 26 on the web, in person?
1: Anything you want to plug, do it now. I'm going to plug our new cans, uh, tangerine cream, and everything else at uh, Mr. B's and Argonaut and Molly's Spirits and Grapevine and Grape X and all the grapes. <laughs> and uh, Falling Rock and Fresh Craft always have kegs of juicy banger on tap, and yeah, awesome, man. Well, I'll tell you what,
0: uh, you guys are doing great work. Thanks for taking some time. I know you got a ton going on all the time. So uh, just getting some insight into this industry, into your brewery, and into you was an enormous privilege. So continued success, you man. Thanks. Put down your glasses. We'll call episode 102 complete with Justin Bakery of Station 26 Brewing. Check them out on the web. He didn't plug the website. Station 26, both numerals, brewing.co, not .com, .co. So, station26brewing.co. The John of All Trades podcast is available on iTunes, also on Stitcher. Just search John of All Trades. Give us a rating, give us a review, subscribe. We'll get every episode downloaded right to you without any work. Additionally, check us out on the interwebs, on the social media. The homepage is johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N, of all trades us you'll find all 105 episodes that I've done iTunes only carries the most recent 100 so if you want to dig deep in the archives and see where I got started John of alltrades.us is the only place to do it social media is Facebook Twitter Snapchat and Pinterest it's all joATH am off next week there will be no new episode coming up but we got one coming after that so the only place to find exclusive episode previews is on Facebook so of those four platforms, Jump on Facebook and get exclusive content that no one else is getting. John of All Trades Podcast this is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the Web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. There's a broad array of services, including podcast training. we doing some of that lately. It's fun. It's exciting. And, hey, the benefit of 100 episodes makes people go, hey, you know what? Maybe I could do this. Maybe you could. Give me a ring. Check it out on the Web. D E F T C O M dot US, and until two weeks from now, say goodnight, night, crazy.
1: That's good, Johnny.